Welcome to the Formed in the Word podcast, a production of the Augustan Institute. Your hosts, Dr. Jim Prothro and Dr. Israel McGrew, will review the lectionary readings for this Sunday's Mass, explain their context, and help you to appreciate the Church's wisdom in selecting them. Welcome to Formed in the Word. I'm Israel McGrew. I'm Jim Prothro. And we are professors of sacred scripture at the Augustan Institute. Today we'll be looking at the lectionary readings for the second week of Lent. We'll explain each reading in turn, their context, some of their main points, and draw out some of the continuity between these readings. In her wisdom, the church has put the lectionary together to lead us into the mystery of Christ. Uh, so we want to reflect on God's foreshadowing of Christ in the Old Testament text and on how Christ fulfills not just those scriptures in his uh, work and ministry, uh, but really the problem of uh, human suffering and existence as it's put to us in scripture. And we'll get to yeah. focus on uh, hope, uh, God's mercy, uh, and God's promises a lot today. So this is a resource for people who want to enter into the Mass more deeply. Uh, so for lay people who want to read and pray and contemplate before you go to Mass, that way you are ready to pray more, um, hopefully more fruitfully when you get there, as well as for priests who are going about um, their homily prep and in their own prayer. Right. And speaking of prayer, let's start with one briefly. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. Lord, we ask that you would bless us uh, here as we talk and all of our viewers uh, as they read your word, uh, that you would give them ears and a disposition to hear your word, your truth more clearly, uh, and then uh, grant by your grace and the Holy Spirit uh, that they would be able to enact it in their own lives through Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Jim. All right, so our Old Testament reading is Genesis 12, 1 through 4. This is the call of Abraham. And last week, we started with the who, fall. Who called him? Was it on a, uh, Did he have an iPhone? This guy and his puns. Is it? Um, what? Stop it, Jim. Uh, <laughs> so we had Genesis 2 and 3, the fall, um, and Garden of Eden, and Christ's beginning of the reversal of the fall in his resisting temptation in the wilderness, right? So Adam and Eve succumbing to temptation, uh, Christ overcoming temptation for us so that we can conform ourselves to him and imitate his overcoming of the devil. And so last week we had the beginning of the reversal of the fall in the sense of Christ definitively doing it. But our Old Testament kind of actually also starts at the beginning of God's reversal of the fall. So in Genesis 3, we have the fall. And then a couple chapters later, we have the flood. And God reveals at the end of the flood his commitment to humanity. That he's not just going to wipe us all out, but he is going to wrestle with us in our hearts, which are deceitful and wicked from our youth. Genesis 12, we have the call of Abraham, um, or Abram, as God chooses this specific person through whom he's going to bless the whole world. And the reading is short, so I'll just read it. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so the covenant that God will eventually make with Abram, the promise that is given to Abram now is focused on him and on the nation that comes from him. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. That's not specific to a, a single people. He who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is you know, Abraham 
as the patriarch of the people of Israel. Um, this is the beginning of a specific people about whom the whole Old Testament deals. And yet from its very inception, this people is there for the sake of blessing the whole world, mm-hmm. right? Being a blessing. And so it's always, you know, the entire Old Testament is God wrestling with this specific people, right? This is what is to be Israel, right? To wrestle with God. Um, but he's wrestling with them precisely so that he can address the entire human condition. Yeah, that's right. In the Old Testament, uh, when people tell the story of, uh, when people kind of recap the whole story of um, the Old Testament, oftentimes they start with Abraham. Um, Within Genesis, this same promise here gets repeated several times. God repeats this promise that all the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. Later on to Abraham, a couple of times, uh, he repeats it to Isaac, to Jacob. Um, And in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 3 especially, St. Paul points back to the call of Abraham and this promise. And he says, listen, blessing comes to the world from God through Abraham's descendants, but especially the one capital D descendant, Jesus Christ. Um, And so this right here is kind of, uh, as you said, like God sort of setting off the plan on earth uh, uh, of salvation or, or kind of kicking it into a new gear that mm-hmm. starts off the, the whole rest of the story. And yeah, my favorite um, take on that theme you just discussed is Mary's Magnificat, actually, mm-hmm. where she says, now, right, upon the Annunciation, upon the conception of Christ in her womb, now God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that's where the seed has entered into history. Yeah. As he spoke to our fathers, into mm-hmm. a, to Abraham, into his seed forever. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll turn to our psalm. So the psalm for this week is uh, Psalm 33, verses 4 and 5, 18 through 20, and 22. And one of the things the psalm addresses is the word of the Lord. Obviously, the word of the Lord is the operative agent in calling Abram. Um, But it's also the operative agent, the cause of creation. And because God created by his word, all of reality, all of history, the entire cosmos directly corresponds to the effectiveness of his word. And so there's a close relationship, I think, between the relationship between God's word and creation and why we can trust it, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, The word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness. He loves the righteous and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And that steadfast love of the Lord, you know, chesed, one of the more famous Hebrew words that people know if, if they don't know any Hebrew, um, often associated with covenantal fidelity. Right? Not exclusively, but it's a, an ongoing theme. Right? When you want to recall the covenant with Abraham or with David, you call on God's chesed towards them mm-hmm. in order to benefit you in the current situation. And in verse six, he continues with, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And so this is the word that the psalmist is um, putting his trust in, right? the word that called Abraham, the word that brought all creation into existence, the word that brought Israel into existence. So with a connection between God's love uh, and his chesed and his word, you could almost say that God's chesed is like God's he said. Oh my goodness. Ah. You're incorrigible. No. Oh. Right. Um, the psalm. Sorry. So we talked about how 
Abram, you know, on the one hand, God in his word is creating this specific people through whom, whom he's going to bless, but also who are a blessing for the rest of the world, right? God is not just seeking to make the people of Israel for their own sake, but in order to use Israel as his servant and ultimately Christ as the recapitulation of Israel as his servant to save all of humanity. And this psalm um, kind of also gets at this dynamic of both Israel and the universal context. Mm -hmm. Because obviously these are Israelites who are praying, right? This is Hebrew literature. Um, The church talks about the Hebrew people and their scriptures. But it's also framed in a way that universalizes these benefits towards Israel. For one thing, we have this reference to creation, right? The, The word of the Lord that created Israel is also the word that created everything, including everybody. And the Lord in verse 13 looks down from heaven and sees all the children of man. And our reading for the week resumes with verse 18. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Right? The, the Gentile God-fearer is a significant trope in the Old Testament. Um, think about Job as an Edomite who fears God. Um, think about Abram himself when he goes to Egypt, worrying that these, there's no fear of God in the land. Or is it Abimelech mm. in, back in Canaan mm. in mm. chapter mm. 21? Um, but in fact, the fear of the God actually is something that the nations do as well. And precisely because God calls Abram with his word, creates this people through whom he's going to bless the world, he reveals his name such that people don't just fear God, but because Israel has revealed the name and character of God to the nations, the nations, by virtue of Israel, are blessed with the ability to fear the Lord specifically, right? to fear him by name. And so it says, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, which would, of course, immediately refer to Israel, but anyone can fit that category if they will. And on those who hope in his steadfast love, and there's that chesed again, right? So we are universally invited to give ourselves to the fear of God and to hope in his covenantal fidelity, his loving kindness. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the theme of uh, fear and especially hope that comes up over and over again, uh, along with God's steadfast love, his chesed here. Um, And it's going to connect us to our New Testament readings as well. Um, If we think about Abraham... Right um, in uh, another place where God speaks the same promise that we just read, He says, "Right, fear not, Abraham. I'm your shield," uh, which is how uh, the psalm uh, ends here in verse mm. twenty uh, and twenty-two. Those are the last two that we read. Verse twenty: Our soul waits for the Lord; He's our help and our shield. Um, verse twenty-two: Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in You. So there's waiting and there's hoping, and it's because God is our shield, but we know him that way because of his promises. God has promised Abraham, I will bless the world through your family, and I'll give you a family. But remember, Abraham's old. He doesn't have a kid yet. Abraham has a lot of reason to struggle with that promise. And he has, right? So in chapter 15 is where he says, stop. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. I'll be your great reward. Because... Actually, at the end of our reading in chapter 12, he brought Lot with him, right? And then he goes yeah. to Egypt. And so Abram isn't an icon of faith. He's, you know, the, the father of faith. Um, and he's like us. 
in that he can be capable of, you know, beautiful acts of trust, right? Mm. Leaving your home country, going to a foreign land. Uh, this is a scary thing in the 21st century, how much more so, yeah. you know, 4,000 years ago. And yet he's also tempted to hedge his bets. Exactly. You know? um, Don't have a son? I'm 70 years old, I'll bring my nephew. Yeah. And if, he, and if you kind of follow through the Genesis story and you watch uh, the ages of people at different points, mm-hmm. Abraham waits on God to fulfill this promise for like 20 years. That's a long time. It's hard for me to wait for my order at McDonald's <laughs> or, 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 or anywhere uh, when it takes longer than I want it to. It's hard for me to wait on a book that I ordered because um, that's the kind of thing I order uh, when it's delayed by you know a few days or a week. Um, Abraham has to wait for a long time. And that same shape right, of faith and hoping and waiting on the Lord and waiting not just in a kind of passive way, but in an active way. We're actively fearing the Lord, worshiping the Lord, holding, clinging to him. Uh, that same faith is the same faith that we're called to, uh, as Paul says in Romans 4, to walk in the footsteps of Abraham, who's our father in faith, um, uh, as Christians. Um, and, and that comes up in, uh, uh, strongly, I think, in our two New Testament readings. Yes. Uh, so for our uh, epistle reading, we can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 8 through 10. Uh, It's fairly short, Uh, so again, uh, as with the others, I'll just read it. Um, uh, St. Paul's writing to Timothy, and uh, this is at the end of his life. Paul has been delivered from uh, prison before, uh, he says later on in the same letter, but now he he says he's looking forward to being delivered, not just out of prison to go somewhere else, but being delivered into the Lord's kingdom and receiving the crown of righteousness um, that he's expecting very much here to be martyred. Um, So this is kind of Paul's last will and testament. And he says in verses 8 through 10 this, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord, nor of me, his prisoners. Don't be be ashamed about the gospel or about the church, right? About uh, Paul in particular here. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, because God, verse 9, saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our prior works, right, before we uh, were called, right, when we were in sin, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which, right, this grace is now manifested through the appearing, the coming, the advent of our Savior Jesus Christ, who destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I'm reading there from the ESVCE. Um, so Paul is calling Timothy, and by extension, right, the scriptures, the Lord is calling all of us to this same kind of shape, right? To know the grace and the steadfast love of God, to know his mercy, that he didn't wait for us to come kind of halfway and say like, hey, did we repent enough for you to send this, your son into the world to save us? He just came, right? He brought that rescue mission to fulfillment, that the capital D, singular descendant, of Abraham came to bring blessing to the world by the forgiveness of sins and grace to restore us to life with God. But there's still a not yet to that, right? That's already happened, and yet we still struggle, we're still tempted, and also uh, we're still waiting on the fullness of that when God restores the whole world and casts all sin and evil out of it. And we're still looking for him to cast all sin and evil out of us as well, and that's what our lives of penance are about. Mm. And so as we wait for that, right, and as we look for that, 
um, right? We aren't ashamed of God, right? We stand on the truth of the gospel, even when it's maligned or made fun of, um, because we know who he is. We know his steadfast love. And right, we do it by, Paul says in verse 8, sharing in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. Not simply on our own power, but by the power of God through his grace in us, renewed by the Holy Spirit in our lives in the sacraments, in our lives of penitence, our lives of worship. Uh, but we live by sharing in that suffering of Jesus uh, for the sake of our brothers and sisters, for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of the gospel and truth, uh, even when it brings us uh, pain uh, or brings us to be made fun of. Yeah, and it, it occurs to me as you're talking about this that kind of triangulating um, Genesis, Psalm 33, and Second Timothy here, there's actually a, a profound and beautiful Christological reflection here. Mm. Go figure. Um, <laughs> in that, right, the Psalm points us to the Word, mm -hmm. right, the Word that creates the cosmos, uh, and also the Word in which, you know, which communicates to us in which we can trust. And Timothy, you know, Paul in Second Timothy here is reminding us of the holy calling which we have, which is analogous to, you know, a kind of descendant of the calling of Abraham, right? So the word which called Abraham uh, has also called us because Christ as the word of God made flesh is himself the calling, mm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so our participation in his suffering is us responding to the word of God, mm. the word which has called us in his own incarnation and mm. suffering. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, and, uh, and specifically there, he says it in um, uh, verse eight too, right? Suffering for the gospel, right. right? Which is that word as it's proclaimed to us, not the gospel like this particular book, right? But the gospel message Paul means here, mm -hmm. right? right? The, the message proclaimed about salvation in Jesus. Well, um, that on all Jesus the is that being is. Right, the proclamation that Jesus's life and passion are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that calls us to hope in, uh, to know God's mercy and to hope in uh, glory and life, but also to prepare for suffering on the way to it. And that yes. brings us really to um, a kind of Lenten reflection on our gospel reading. So our gospel reading is from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. Uh, and that's the transfiguration. Uh, so if you pray the luminous mysteries, uh, you've prayed this regularly. It's a mystery that has so many facets. It's a gem that has so many different uh, uh, angles off of which light can be reflect, refracted. We could talk about this a whole bunch. But um, some things are, are really worth highlighting as we think about it in Lent, right? And thinking about penitence and suffering on the way to glory. That's kind of what the disciples are pointed to here in a way. So if we look back just a chapter before in Matthew 16, this is the, right when Jesus has told his disciples, I'm going to go to the cross. He's asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, correct mundo, Peter, right? Mm -hmm. And on this rock, I'll build my church. So just like in the New Testament reading, going back to the Old Testament, the people of God, right? But Paul talking about not being ashamed of him, right? A, a reminder of the church there. But then when Jesus says, yes, now I'm going to die, right? And this is about the first time that he said this plainly 
uh, Mark's gospel tells us, the first time he said this openly and plainly. And Peter says, well, no, that's not what the Messiah is supposed exactly. to do. Exactly. Right? So whereas last week you mentioned that the temptation in the wilderness, these are three different ways we could understand of people misunderstanding what a Messiah is, right? Well, Messiah is the one who has power to give bread. And in John, the people want more bread. Uh, Messiah is the one who will flutter down from heaven and we won't be able to doubt who he is. Or the third temptation, the Messiah is the one who will have authority over the nations, right? Mm -hmm. The son of David who builds the empire that David was supposed to have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we have here uh, Peter confessing that Christ is the Messiah, and Christ is Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah, um, but also very much not understanding what the Messiah is. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that's not a slight against Peter. It's not as though Peter's like being dumb or unfaithful or something like that, right? He's, he's, he says this because he loves Jesus, uh, but because Jesus hasn't yet revealed to him the fullness of what it means for him to right, both be the Messiah and be crucified. Him. And, because he loves so, Jesus and because he's read his Old Testament. Well, right, yeah. And exactly. if you read the Old Testament without transfiguring it through the cross, you're going to look for a political messiah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's why this is one of my favorite mysteries. But go ahead. Uh, no, that's right. That's right. Setting us up. Um, but so continuing on, so this is when Jesus says, right, you, you, um, after Peter says that, he turns to all of his followers and he says, whoever would come after me has to take up his cross and follow me. Um, not just that this is going to happen to me, but if you want to have any part of me, this is what you've got to do. And of course, Peter later does that. And this is what we're all called to. And the transfiguration gives Peter uh, and James and John, the three apostles who are brought up to the mountaintop with Jesus, uh, a kind of both and uh, that starts from the other direction. So they've just been told, he's just told them he's going to die and they need to take up their cross and prepare to do the same. And then he takes them up onto a mountain after six days, right? And they come, they have a little bit of a Sabbath, and they rest with him, uh, and he's transfigured before them. He's on a mountaintop. Suddenly, he just shines, and the light is, isn't reflected off something else onto him like he's standing in a particularly sunny place or something like that, right? It's like it's coming out of him, and it even changes the color of his clothes so that they're just like so utterly bright and white like light, and then Moses and Elijah, right? the, the, the law and the prophets, right? the two, great, two of the great prophets uh, from Israel, come and they speak with him. And Peter says, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of things we could pull out of the three tents. My favorite uh, rationale is the one that's actually given in Scripture in Mark's gospel where he says the reason Peter said this is he didn't know what to say for they were afraid. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but Sometimes it's better just to shut up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, uh, uh, but then a bright cloud overshadows them. You remember from the Old Testament, the bright cloud that led the people out of Egypt that symbolized God's presence there over the tabernacle, right? Like, this is giant, big-time, Old Testament stuff happening about when God shows up. There's light, there's the bright cloud, and a voice from heaven comes and says, this is my beloved son, just like at his baptism, right? So what is revealed to Peter, James, and John, first of all, is that uh, nothing has changed. He's still the beloved son of God. Yes, he is the son. Yes, he is the Messiah. Um, but then notice the command that comes with it, because it doesn't end with, this is my beloved son. It says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. 
If you're confused because you thought I'm following the Messiah and now you're like, maybe he's just a dead guy, right? The answer for Peter, James, and John and for the rest of the apostles is hang on, stay with him, keep clinging to him, keep listening to him because you don't know everything yet, mm -hmm. but it will be revealed to you. And that's actually what we get um, uh, later on, right? They see Jesus only when they lift up their faces and they have to follow him only. And then as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this until the Son of Man himself right, is raised from the dead. Right? That is to say, hold out through this time of suffering and this time of confusion. Mm -hmm. Hold out by faith, hope in me, and wait for Easter. Yeah, And, and that's, there's something beautiful about that in, uh, in Lent, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so just to tie it back to Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, right? Uh, Peter says the correct words, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, but he doesn't actually know what those signify. Mm -hmm. And he'll only be able to know what the signification of Messiah is through the cross. Mm -hmm. He'll only be able to know what the significance of this transfiguration is through the cross because the cross itself is what transfigures the understanding of what the Messiah is. And I think too, if we think about Moses and Elijah, right? the giver of the law and the preeminent prophet standing for the law and the prophets, like you said, um, but in the sense of standing for all of Hebrew scripture, mm, right? Mm -hmm. All of Hebrew scripture is to be transfigured through the cross. That's how it's finally to be understood in the way that is, you know, fully pleasing and what God actually intends and what God wants us to listen to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're to listen to Christ as he, right? reveals himself to us as to who he is, not who we think he ought to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and the same thing, right, that through Christ we're to listen to the Old Testament for what it is, which according to the New Testament is a testimony to this both crucified and risen Messiah, the one whose mm -hmm. kingdom uh, is not of this world and yet will come down to this world uh, when he returns to reign in glory. Um, and that's... It, when we think about Lent and we think about kind of waiting for Easter, right? Sometimes we're just thinking about like waiting to have ice cream again or waiting to um, uh, relax our penances. Um, but what it ought to be uh, also for us is a, is a symbol, right? The, sort of the, the, the realities that we celebrate during the church year are true all the time, right? Jesus is always resurrected, <laughs> and we always depend on that life through the grace of our baptism that we're joined to his life uh, every day, not just on Easter or in the Easter season. But it's then that we especially mm -hmm. emphasize that. Um, and we're meant to always be doing uh, penance as well and waiting patiently for the Lord. Uh, but we emphasize that in different ways in Advent and then especially right in its highest form in Lent. Our waiting for the Lord and our practices of penance aren't just about, well, I got to do this for 40 days because Jesus did it for 40 days, so I suppose I, I will. Like, if, that's, if that's where somebody is, that's a, that's a good starting place, right? Um, uh, but we ought to be able to see ourselves um, getting ready for the resurrection of Christ and getting ready for his return every day by knowing his power and his love and his mercy and his promises knowing what he's already done for us by his wonderful grace and clinging to that in hope as we continue to live in conformity to his suffering and his cross 
and mm-hmm. through that cross to be able to read not just the Old Testament, but the rest of our lives yeah. and everything that happens, right? To see it through the lens of um, the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel of which we're not ashamed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. It's the appalling admonition to be renewed in your mind. Mm-hmm. And that is, mm-hmm. I think what the transfiguration, uh, what praying over and contemplating the transfiguration is an invitation to do. Right? To, mm-hmm. with Peter, um, give up some of our presuppositions and give ourselves to the way of the cross. Absolutely. All right. Is that it? That's it for me, yeah. All right. Uh, (laughs) Blessings on the rest of your Lent. We'll see you next week, hopefully. Um, I hope you enjoy contemplating the transfiguration and the cross. Have a good week. God bless. This has been a Formed in the Word podcast, a production of the Augustan Institute. For more inspiring and informative content like this, please visit formed.org.